you do, it's a start to a good day. Amen. Yeah, I know. Hallelujah. We uh, have been asked to teach this morning. I'm not going to deal with the parables. Derek is doing that. And uh, what I am going to be dealing with this morning is a subject very dear to my heart. Uh, you'll find our scripture in 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bible, please take the opportunity to use that. We will be putting the scripture up on the uh, uh, signs up here so you can see those. But uh, I want to talk about a little bit about this this morning uh, because this is one of those subjects that uh, is, uh, you're never going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, one writer said it's like trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon. Uh, we're going to talk about the love of God, the love of God. You got your Bible? 1 John chapter number 4. If you're there, say I'm there. If you want me to wait a minute, say that. I'm waiting on a deacon, okay. 1 John chapter number 4. And uh, we'll begin our reading this morning uh, in verse number 7. It says, Beloved, so immediately we know who he's talking to. Who's he talking to? The church, those who are saved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Can you imagine such a thing? And he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin or the payment for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then in verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath toward us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect or mature, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth not is made perfect in love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. If a man say that I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. We're going to pray. Father God, we come before you today, first and foremost, asking you to strengthen us during this moment. We pray, Lord God, for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that as your word has promised in John the 16th chapter, that he will enlighten us, that he will guide us into all truth. You promised the psalmist that the steps of a good man are ordered by you, and so God this morning, order our steps in such a way that as we open the word of God together, that God, you would bring us greater insight than what we've ever had before. Help us, Lord God, to come to an understanding of what it means to say that I love God, and God, how that love is manifested in our life. Help us, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you start talking about love, golly, 
the world's concept of love is so skewed, right? I heard years ago about an old maid, and the phone rang about 8 o'clock at night, and uh, she said, hello, and the voice on the other end of the line says, Mary, I love you. Do you love me? And she said, of course I do. Who is this? We got this idea that love is all about some type of ooey-gooey emotional feelings. Teenagers several years ago were asked the definition of love. One of them wrote this, love is feeling a feeling that you've never felt before. So if you've got an upset stomach, you may be in love, right? And one said, love is two hearts beating amidst stardust. Isn't that sweet? And I like this. One of them wrote down and says, life is one fool thing after another. Love is two fool things after each other. May very, very good definition there. As we look to this passage of Scripture that we've got before us, we're coming to uh, understand that the depth of this passage is so great that you and I, with all of our wisdom, will never come to an understanding of what the definition of God's love really is. The point is not simply that God loves but that he is love itself. In fact, it says that in verse number 8. It says it again in verse number 16. God is love. Love is not merely one of his attributes. It is his very essence. It is his nature. That's what God is. Uh, when Karl Barth, who is a famed the German theologian, visited the United States, a student at the seminary supposedly asked, Dr. Barth, what is the single most important truth you have learned as a theologian? Barth replied, the most important thing I have learned is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you think about the context of the Bible, the 66 books that make up our Bible, the underlying theme of all that is written, the purpose for all that is written, is a demonstration of the fact that God loves us. It is the cornerstone. Uh, the central affirmation of the Christian faith, the cornerstone of the nature of God. When God says, I love you, he is saying you matter to him. Have you ever thought of that? The God who created the universe, the God who spoke it all into existence, the God who attends the funeral of every sparrow that falls to the ground, the God who keeps it all in place. Colossians chapter 1 says, by him all things consist. That God is so attentive to you that even the very hairs of your head are numbered. You are that important to him. You are valuable regardless of what others think. In his eyes, you are wonderful. I, I'm thoroughly convinced of this, that if God's got a refrigerator, my picture's on it. If you ever come to that understanding that God loves you, it's going to help you get through your day, amen? It's going to help you to put up with some people that are almost past putting up with. It's going to help you to get through some circumstances that you don't see any way out of. When you come to an understanding that God loves you. I turned the television on this morning. Uh, sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes it's going to be a bad thing. Immediately I was faced with the news that North Korea over the night has uh, detonated a huge nuclear weapon underground and caused a 6.2 uh, 
Richter scale earthquake. I'm uh, greeted with the fact that the people in Houston, Texas and Beaumont, Texas still are not being able to return to their homes. In fact, Beaumont, Texas has no drinkable water source. Think of that. They have no water even to drink and people are having to fly water into them. I'm greeted with the fact that we have another hurricane brewing out in the Gulf. I mean out in the ocean uh, with the possibilities of coming to Florida. I'm greeted uh, with the fact that there is a wildfire burning in California that is the largest that they've ever had and uh, that it's only like 200, 250 yards from some of the houses out there. And uh, there'll, be most, m there'll be multiple millions of dollars of property loss. I'm greeted by the fact that a seminary student in North Carolina suffering from a cold went to bed last night and took some cold medication. Did you see this? And in the process of dreaming his dreams, he thought he was beating off this beast that was attacking him. And when he woke up, his wife, who they had only been married like a year, was laying beside him, bloodied, a knife laying on the sheets. She was dead. And he had to call 911 and tell them that he had killed his wife. The world in which we live is a world that is filled with chaos, it is a world that is filled with evil. People, the, uh, one of the statements that was made in a meeting that I was in recently uh, wanted to know why people were acting in such wild, foolish ways, tearing these statues down and things that they were saying to people and the mean vindictiveness of the nature of people's talks. That's what lost people do. They have no concept of God's love. They are acting in their own brute nature, is what the Apostle Paul said. And they're coming out of that. But you and I, we, we've come to that place as the beloved of God where we've experienced the love of God. And that love ought to change us. We ought not to act like the world acts. Somebody say amen. We ought to be different. They ought to behold our chaste conversation and desire what we have. And so we begin to understand God's love. We talk about mercy, that's God's forgiving love. We talk about grace, that's God's undeserved love. Uh, we talk about peace, that's God's comforting love. Isn't that a blessing? Second Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says, And the God of all comfort shall comfort you. The will of God is God's unerring love. The providence is God's caring love. He's ordering our steps. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is God's proven love. Sanctification is God's nurturing love. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being changed day by day. Sanctification is God's nurturing love. Heaven is God's rewarding love. Don't you wish we could go today? Are y'all awake? Is anybody here besides me? Okay, just, just checking. Eternity, God's unending love. So my aim is this morning to try and help you come to an understanding uh, that actually the Apostle Paul said was past understanding. If you've got your Bible there, you'll find the scripture in Ephesians chapter number 3. And what you find in Ephesians, the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us about the love of God. He starts in chapter 1 by telling us that the love of God actually started for us before the foundation of the world was ever laid. And he just kind of gets... Uh, almost beside himself if you will and so he begins to pray and you've got it there in front of you Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, 
the prayer actually begins in verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And that's the key. The Holy Spirit of God has to bring you to this understanding. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse number 18, may be able to comprehend, may be able to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, listen to this, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying that you can come to an understanding of what the love of God is, even though he's making the statement, the love of God is past finding out. He's, he's drinking from a well that has no bottom. He is telling you that, that he's wanting you to comprehend something here that he himself has not come to the end of. And so the Bible says in verse number 20, how, what's the key? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And the power that worketh in us, of course, is a reference back to verse 16 where it talks about the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in our heart. And so it's the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in our heart that reveals unto us the great love that God has got for us. And so we've got several statements here and then we've got several things we want to share with you. Helping you, trying to come to an understanding of what the love of God is. And so the first thing that I would share with you is that the greatest word of knowledge you will ever receive is this, God loves you. Uh, the point is not simply that God loves, but that he is love itself. Love is not merely one of his attributes, it's very nature. As a chair, for instance, uh, would be made out of wood, you can say, well, that's a chair. Yes, but in its essence, it's wood. Now, why is that important? Because love is in, in the human realm is, is kind of based upon a reciprocal type thing. And we'll talk about this more in a minute. But you remember back in the first grade, can, some of y'all can go back that far. Tommy wrote Susie a note. Tommy said, Susie, I love you. Check yes or no. You remember those notes? Now Susie gets that note and she checks no. She passes it back to Tommy. Tommy reads it. And for the rest of their life, they are mortal enemies. He will not vote for her to be cheerleader. She will not vote for him to be class president. Why? Because she doesn't love me. Love is fickle. It's, it, 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 it's something that we respond to. When the Bible says God is love, he's telling you, God's love doesn't respond to you. God doesn't love you because of who you are. God does not love you because of what you do. God does not love you because you've earned his love. God loves you because that's what he is. In his very essence, God loves you. We go a little bit further. God's love is so wide that it has no confinements. When the Apostle Paul prayed, he said, I pray in verse 17 that you'll come to the breadth and the height and the width and the depth of God's love. But when you begin to think about it, he has a love without bond, uh, boundaries. In John chapter 3 and verse number 16, verse of scripture you, earned, you learned when you were in Sunday school. For God so loved what? 
the world. It's the, it's the word. Uh, it, it's not the world uh, that we would talk about the terrestrial ball, the trees and the green, you know, bushes, and not the earth, not the terrestrial ball. He loves the cosmos. He loves the adorning element of the world. What's the adorning element of this world? Mankind. And so when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life, he's talking about you. Romans 10, 13, look at this verse of Scripture. He says, for whosoever, and you can put anybody's name there, anybody, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's love has no confinements. God's love is so deep it has no conditions. God never said, I'll love you if you love me. He never said, I will if you will. In fact, what you find God saying, 1 John 4, 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He said, I'm going to love you even if you don't. Isn't that good? Amen. That would solve a lot of marriage conflict right there. If the husband who always messes up. Finally, Lord, some response. Walks in and said, hon, I blew it. And she said, doesn't matter, I love you anyway. Would that get us through some stuff? I love E.B. Hill. I love listening to tapes of E.B. Hill. One of the things he stated about his, at his wife, preaching his wife's funeral, by the way, uh, he had, had been through some difficulties, and uh, he had bought a gas station. And uh, he was trying to run the gas station, pastor the church, run the gas station, pastor the church, it never works out. And the, past day, uh, the gas station went upside down. And so when he got home, he's down, he's defeated, the station is closed, he's lost his money. He walks into his house, shoulders slumped, head down, calls out for his wife. She said, I'll be out in a minute. So he goes and sits at the table, he's defeated, and she comes out. He said, what have you been doing? She said, oh, I've just been in the library doing a little figuring. He said, figuring about what? She said, I, I know that you lost this amount of money in that gas station, and I've been figuring if you drank and smoked over the years we've been married, it'd have been about the same kind of loss, so six and one half dozen other, let's go ahead and have supper. Is that love? And that's where we come to with God. The Bible says that he considers our, our structure, that we're dust. He understands that we are prone to, to failure and so in his essence which is love he loves us even in spite of us can i get a witness that's the god that loves us and so we come to a better understanding of that uh god's love is so long that it has no conclusions jeremiah 31 3 the lord hath appeared of old unto me saying yea i have loved thee listen to this with an everlasting love Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. When did he start loving you? When you were born? When you were conceived? Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4 says, Before the foundations of the world were ever laid, that he loved you. Can you imagine this? Can you get your mind wrapped around this? God, who is sovereign in all of his being, looked into the future and he saw mankind. He saw man fall in the garden. He saw the Tower of Babel. He saw the crucifixion of his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw all of the vile wickedness that man has ever committed. And yet he still chose to make man. That he might set his love on man. 
That's when his love started. And it will, have, it will never end. He has loved us with an everlasting love. So high it has no comparison. So wise, wide it has no confinement. So deep it has no conditions. So long it has no conclusion. Y'all forgive me for a second. I am technically challenged. Yes, help me, Linda. I know. I love you. <laughs> oh, I hate technology. Okay, so we come to the reason in God's love. Why would he love you? What did you ever do that would merit the love of God? And of course the answer is that we didn't do anything. In fact, if you've studied the word of God, what you find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, that we were dead. I know you can't see that. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We had no way to respond to God's love. Ezekiel chapter 16, the word of God says, when he passed by us, he saw us polluted in our own blood. God loves us because of what he, what he is. He chose to love us before the foundation of the world. His love is not reciprocal. Brings us to point number two, the revelation of God's love. How did God show his love for mankind? You have it there in the scripture in front of you, 1 John 4.10. Herein is love, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. In fact, if you want to carry this to an understanding, there's nobody in the, on the face of the earth that God does not love right now. Nor has there ever been anybody born on the face of the Lord that he did not love. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, My little children... These things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sin, verse number 2, and not our sin only, but also the sin of the whole world. God loves even the most vile, wicked individual that's upon the face of this earth. And would do all that he could do to see that person come to be saved. Well, how, how can you say that, preacher? Because he sent his own son to die in his place to become a propitiation for the sin of mankind. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20 makes this statement. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as a lamb without blemish without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifested in these last times for you could it be that when we talk about the love of god and people make the statements well god must not love me because things don't happen the way I think they ought to happen in my life I didn't get that promotion uh, we weren't able to buy the house uh, we can't pay our bills uh, my family's all 
messed up. God must not love me. Could it possibly be we're looking for God's love in all the wrong places? We who are so materialistically minded in the United States might say, well, if God loves me, then he will bless me. Sounds like some preachers I've heard on television. If God loves me, my bills will be paid. I'll have good health. I'll succeed where others have failed. And if God doesn't do these things for me, then he must not love me. But what about those people that don't have anything? What about those people who are lying on beds of affliction? What about those who are starving and sick and the babies with birth defects? Does God not love them? Dr. Craig Edwards, friend of ours up in North Carolina, wrote a lot of gospel songs, but he wrote this poem, and I shared it with us several years ago. He said, some people try to measure the love of God by the things they own, like cars and clothes, money, and the size of their homes. But if all that I have is taken away, would that mean that he loves me less than he does today? What about the millions with nowhere to sleep or the precious little children with nothing to eat? Yet I know that Jesus loves them as much as he loves me, and he poured out his love for every man when he died on Calvary. I'm glad the Bible teaches that God so loved the world. That means every man and woman, every boy and girl. He said, before I'll lose you, I'll pay the cost. So if you want to see God's love, just look to the cross. As he suffered and died for a world that was lost, God said, I love you from an old rugged cross. What if he never blesses me again? What if he never answers another one of my prayers? What if when I stand to preach, he never anoints my preaching or touches me again? If he never does any of those things, he has already blessed me a million times over by giving his son in my stead. Have we lost the value of Calvary? Has it become so familiar to us that we glide over it without really giving it in-depth thought? God showed his love for mankind by allowing his perfect son to die for you and I. We sang this song, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. And then this verse, Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for mankind to show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. So what should be our reaction to the love that God has got for us? And our reaction, according to 1 John chapter 4, is to be threefold. How do I respond to the love that God has showed me? Because he loved me, because this love caused him to come looking for me when I wasn't looking for him. Romans 3.11, the Bible said, no man seeketh after God. My response to this great love bestowed will be manifested in three ways. First and foremost, if I love him, I will obey his commandments. And we're not talking about legalism here. We're talking about a show of love. 
because of what he did for us. My dedication to his will will be a gauge of my life for him. Several scriptures point this out. You've got your Bible there in front of you. Would you take it and turn to 1 John chapter 5? Should be just one page over if you're still in 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 5, if you will, please. And notice, if you will, verse number 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not heavy. They're not hard. If, they're manif- if, they're, they're, if their motivation for keeping them is the love that he has shed abroad in our hearts. Again, in verse number 9, he makes this statement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, that he hath testified on his Son. He that believeth the Son of God hath a witness in himself. That witness is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. You were sealed unto the day of redemption when you were saved, and that Holy Spirit of God was placed in you in this dispensation of grace. If you would but yield to the Holy Spirit of God, you would find keeping the commandments of God so much easier. Just yield to the spiritual leadership. Uh, another verse of scripture, John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Again, John fourteen twenty one. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved to my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. So first and foremost, this love that I'm receiving from God, if I'm going to respond to that love, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Yes, no, yes. So in order to know what God tells us to do, we've got to know what's in here. Is that correct? 1,189 chapters, that's all. 66 books. Just read it. I think somebody said one time, if you read 15 minutes a day, you read through the whole Bible in a year. Can you not give 15 minutes a day to show their love that you should have for God? Read the word of God. Secondly, not only will I love him by keeping his commandments, but I'm going to uh, show my love for God, according to 1 John chapter 4, by loving other people. This is what he says, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 21. You got your Bibles open? 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. He says, in this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loves his brother also look at chapter 3 back over in chapter 3 verse number 16 first john chapter 4 excuse me first john chapter 3 verse 16 hereby perceive we the love of god this is how we understand the love of god because he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren does that sound like the modern church we're real good at throwing stones not becoming sacrifices for others. Several years ago, there was a preacher who fell from grace in our little community in Taylor County. I had a visiting evangelist. That evangelist was from North Carolina, but he was very good friends with uh, uh, that pastor. I was in the front of the church at the conclusion of the service, 
and I heard a disturbance in the lobby, I went back there to find my evangelist who stood about 6'2", with his hands on both sides of a man's coat, lifting him off the ground. I said, what in the world, Brother Don? What's going on? He said, this man just sat here, and he began to, and he used some terminology about this other brother and how sorry he was, and, how, and he said, he's not going to talk about my brother like that in my presence. Would you do that? Would you be willing to defend the brother that you knew was wrong because you loved him? You think about this. Wasn't none of us right when God defended us by sending his son to die for us? Whoa. And as he loved us, we are to love one another. Would that, would that really make a difference in the world in which we're living? Uh, John chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, listen to what Jesus said. A new commandment, a new commandment, write that down, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as God has loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What was the old commandment? You remember? The old commandment was do as you want others to do unto you. You remember? But now Jesus has given us a brand new commandment. The new commandment is this. You're going to love them like I love you. What's the difference? If I love you like I love myself, there'll be days when I won't love you at all because there's days I don't love myself at all. Amen? But if I love you like Jesus loves you, There'll never come a day that I don't love you. He always loved you. Good days, bad days, in between days, he always loved you. And the commandment is, is that I'm going to love you just like that. And here's the promise of the commandment. If you love each other like Jesus loves you, the world will see that love. And they will be drawn to him because of what they see in you. The world will know you're my disciples because you love one another. Is this good? Y'all still with us? All right. Our love for him not only will be manifested by the fact that, that we're going to keep his commandments, by the fact that we're going to love one another, but my love for him will be manifested to the world in a third area. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says this, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have... And I love this word in the King James. It says boldness in the day of judgment. Because he loves me when the day of judgment comes, I'm going to have a holy boldness. That's what the word of God says. He goes further to say in verse 17, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse number 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If you go over to 1 John chapter 5, he says in verse number 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, we love each other, not because of who we are. We love each other because of what Christ did for each of us. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I love that word boldness, don't you? And it's a twofold boldness. If you go back and study, uh, the writer of Hebrews makes this statement. The writer of Hebrews, he says, let us come, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace uh, that we might obtain mercy. When, when, I, when I fail, and please, please do really think with me here, okay? When I fail and the Holy Spirit of God comes and convicts me of my sin, I don't fear the judgment hand of God unless I refuse to confess that sin. If I confess that sin, if I go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, how do I do that? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't have to walk into the presence of God. God, I blew it again. This is the 459th billionth time I've done this. And I'm so very, very sorry. God, please don't cast me. I don't have to fear hearing God say, I'm sorry, you've gone over your limit. Get out of here. Because he loves me, I have boldness to enter into his presence and to say, God, please forgive me. Apply mercy Someone said, grace is receiving that which you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving that which you do deserve. I can go with mercy and say, God, please forgive me. And the Bible says I can enter it with a confidence and a boldness, knowing that he hears me and he'll forgive my sin. But not only that. According to the scripture, the Bible says down there in verse number seven, uh, what is it? Verse number uh, 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness when in the day of judgment. And if you carry this out to its, it, its logical process, the nth degree, if you will, the judgment is when we stand before God. For the Bible says that all stewards must give an account of their stewardship. If you go back and study 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says that all of us one day will stand before God and give an account of the life that we've lived. Romans chapter 14 says exactly the same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, exactly the same thing. As a born-again child of God, the day's going to come when you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for the way you've lived your life that you may receive reward for the things done in the flesh, whether they be good or bad. That's what your Bible says. And you don't have to fear that. He loves you. And you can enter that day, according to this scripture, with boldness. Preacher, I'm scared to death one day standing before the Lord. No, 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 no. He loves you. His very essence is to love you. He sent his son. What more could he do, Romans 8 asked, than to send his son for you? So that when this life is over and you stand in your presence, you, his presence, you stand there as a quivering child. No, 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 no. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Perfect love, his love, cast out all fear. It's going to be a great day.
I'm afraid the devil has kind of lied to us and told us that God, some great big God in heaven with a blackjack waiting for us to step out of line so he can knock us in the head. That's not God. The God, the God we love, has, the God we know has a love that is unfathomable. You can't reach the depth of his love. You can't reach the width of his love. His love goes as far as the east is from the west. You'll never reach the height of his love. It is so past our understanding that he would love us enough to send his son. And in our response to that, we keep his commandments. They're not grievous to us. We love each other, <laughs> warts and all. Amen? And we have boldness to come into his presence not fearing the wrath of God. Boldness because He is God. And He loves me. Whoo! Had to make Episcopalian shout and y'all just sitting there like you know it. It's, it's all good. He loves us. He loves us. If my comparison for his love is small, listen to this. If my comprehension of his love is small, then my obedience to his will will be small. My love for others will be small. My confidence in him will be small. I'll find myself coming to the altar and praying prayers, God, please handle this, and then going back to my pew and try to figure out what I'm going to do about it. My confidence in him would be small. My example is to be Jesus. His love for the Father, his confidence in the Father's will caused him to be obedient, Philippians chapter 2, even obedient to the death of the cross. His love for his Father gave him a confidence that God's will is perfect, so much so in the high priestly prayer of John 17, he prayed, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. I love this old song, and I'm through with this. F.M. Lehman wrote this. He said, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes behind, beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, Adam and Eve, bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then the last verse, my favorite. Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies a parchment made? Where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And then the refrain, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And just kind of in the way of a postscript, that third verse, F.M. Lehman tells that the third verse had been penciled on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum after he had been carried to his grave. And while it is only supposition that he was the one who adapted the Jewish author's poem to leave us these well-known lines, if the account is true, it shows in any case that he highly esteemed the message. Oh, love of God, how measureless and pure. You pray with us, Father.
God, I just want to praise you this morning for loving us. We who are so unlovable, we who are so rebellious in our nature, we who, God, never seek after you, you always come seeking after us. Thank you, God, for loving us. And help us, Lord. Help us as we strive to keep your commandments, to live lives that are holy, live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us, Lord God, as we strive to love each other as you have loved us. Help us, Lord God, to have boldness, even as we pray, to come into your presence knowing that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins, to have confidence in the day of judgment, and to somehow contemplate this great, great mystery of your love for us. And Father, we praise you for the time we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Brother Derek will be back next Sunday.